0: wow and the confession piece is important too do you think that somebody can be truly sorry and committed to change if they aren't willing to go public with it uh, wow because I, yeah, in the story- I, because
1: I wasn't prepared for the question I want to pause just a minute but I have an answer I just want to pause before I give it I think probably not because I think the more you hide things the more you can repeat them
0: This study references the book Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity by Mike Hilson. Get your own copy of the book today on Amazon.
1: Hey, y'all, welcome back to our study on Nehemiah. Today, uh, we're, we're looking again in the book of Nehemiah. And we've got this resource for you that if you want to pick up, you can let us know about, or you can find it on Amazon. Nehemiah, I am taking authority over identity, because that's really what we're talking about throughout the entire series, is taking authority over the identity in my life, because we've made the point the entire time that once you receive an identity, once you established an I am then you know that it sets your truth and your truth sets your thinking your thinking sets your habit habits your ha- i'm sorry your thinking sets your actions your actions set your ha- your habits and they reinforce even a negative i am or they can reinforce a positive i am the cycle by the way if you are reinforcing a negative identity you are cycling downward if you are reinforcing a positive identity, you are cycling upward. Now, the last few lessons we've been talking about maintaining or sustaining this new identity that God has given us. So today we're going to do that again, but I, I want you to understand that you cannot, you cannot sustain a sanctified, by that I mean set apart by God, washed clean identity. You cannot, you cannot sustain a new spiritual identity while ignoring the failures of your past or the failures of your present. It's interesting that we just came out of chapter 8 and in chapter 8, you know, we're we're being we're being we're being, you know, spiritually intentional and scripturally faithful. We're seeing all of that take place, right? Reading the word and responding to the word being flexible to what the word will say to us on a given day. All of that's happening in chapter 8. And you might think that we've reached the pinnacle of the spiritual moment for the people in Jerusalem, the people of Israel that are now gathered again in Jerusalem. Uh, But in the end, we're really not, because chapter 9 will take a much darker turn. Where in chapter 8, they are revisiting the Scriptures, and they're reestablishing and recommitting themselves to the Scriptures. In chapter 9, there is this entire process of confessing what has happened in the past. They're confessing what got them to a broken down city. They're confessing what caused them to be in a place where the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and the gates had been burned with fire. They're confessing something. Well, let's just watch. They're confessing the sins of their ancestors. Now, let me pause and let me just say the sins of our ancestors are often not isolated to the actions of our ancestors. The sins of our ancestors are often passed down and we begin to repeat them because they're part of the overall the fabric of the culture in which we live. The fabric of the culture in which we live is made up of, yes, all those positive things that we've put together, all of the new identities that we've received. But the fabric of our culture is also made up of all the bad choices that were made in the past and how those now now interact with our with our psyche and with our interactions with one another and the way we view the world around us. Our worldview is 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 determined by this. Now, let's let's go away from culture and let's just talk about us individually the fabric of who i am as an individual is made up yes of the choices i've made in my life right wrong or indifferent but it's also made up of the of the opinions and the thoughts the biases of of the people that raised me or the or or the family i grew up in the household i grew up in therefore it's important it's actually imperative that we deal with what is in the past that we deal with the sins of our past even the sins of our culture in the past personally so that we can step past those that's what's happening in chapter 9 so i want you to understand that 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 there is a there the, the whole chapter chapter 9 is really about confession it's about dealing with bad choices we've made personally in our lives now and bad choices that our culture has made even before we were born. So, chapter 9 verse 1, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. Watch. Fasting, wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Well, why would they do this? This is this is for an ancient Israeli culture. This is this is a physical indication of an internal shame. And I need you to understand, I'm I'm going to say this, and this is not going to be popular, okay? So we're, we're going to go against popular norms here. Sin should bring shame. I know that in our modern culture, shame is like the worst of all things, but it's not true. In reality, sin is the worst of all things, going against God's normatives for our lives, going against God's call for our lives, going against God's commands for our lives. Sin is very simply defined as God wants this, and I either refuse to do this, or I insist on doing the opposite of this. Sin is running away from God. And sin brings shame into our lives. And and look, it's really, it's really not as complex as it seems. If God is good, and hear me, he is. And if God wants our lives to be better, and hear me, he does. God wants to make us the very best versions of who he created us to be. If God is good and he wants the best for us, okay, let's start there. Then frankly, if I insist on going out, opposite of what God has called me to, this is called sin, then if God is good and I am running away from him, I'm running toward bad. If God wants me to make me better and I'm running away from him, then I am making me worse. This is something we have to understand. Sin just works that way. Sin brings shame into our lives and it should. There's there there's no place in our lives for being Proud of doing wrong things. There's no place in our lives for feeling good about being bad. And, and, and if if that's if that's the life you're living, I'm proud of doing wrong things. Then you've got a way of thinking and a worldview that I don't even know how to comprehend, because frankly, that's just destroying you and hurting the people around you. If you feel good about being bad then you've got a misunderstanding of how the world works and how you work in the world. And it's going to hurt you and others. There needs to be shame can be a good thing. If it turns me away from what is bad and wrong and toward what is good and right. Shame can be a good thing if it saves me from what is destroying me. And that's exactly what's going on in chapter 9. The nation of Israel is remembering what got them to this broken state so that they will be less likely to go back there. Sin should bring shame. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. This is not so much an exclusivity thing as it is we are confessing the sins of our family. This is ours. We are owning it. The, 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 the neighboring nations and tribes can't own what is our failure. I The, the nation of Israel is saying... We are owning this. We did this. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem may not be good guys, but they're not the ones that caused us to do these things. These things that we have done are our fault, not theirs. I can't blame. Everybody stay with me. I can't blame my failure on someone else's influence because it was ultimately my choice. Therefore, when I, when, when I say sin should bring shame, when it brings that shame, that shame should bring with it, should cause, should bring about repentance. And repentance requires confession. Re, to, for me to be repentant requires that I confess what I've done wrong. I got to name it. I, I, if you don't name, if you just say, Lord, forgive me for whatever then, then you're, not really, you're not really repentant for anything. When our kids were little, they would say, they would get in a fight or one would do something to the other and we would look at our kids and say, tell him you're sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Well, we stopped putting up with that because that didn't help. What we said is, now, you need to look at your brother, because we only had sons. You need to look at your brother and say, I'm asking for your forgiveness because I did this thing wrong. They had to name it and then ask forgiveness for it why because if they didn't name it it was just this general i'm sorry which ultimately quite often meant i'm sorry i got caught it didn't mean i'm it didn't mean i'm sorry i did something it meant i'm sorry i got caught doing something and so so what we had to do is we had to teach them to name the thing they had done wrong how had they wronged their brother And then once they named that, they asked for forgiveness for it. It became very specific. Repentance works that way. Repentance requires confession. They needed to confess what their ancestors had done that got them into this place and ultimately understand, I've been doing this. Because remember, these folks are just now inside of freshly new built walls so they've been doing they've been following the gods of the of their neighbors they've been following the gods of Can- of the Canaanites they've been doing all of this cuz they've been living amongst these people for this 100 years that the Israel's been torn down Jerusalem's been torn down and they've not had they've not been able, they've not really been worshipping the way they should and so these confessions are for what their ancestors have done but quite frankly these confessions are also for what they're continuing to do and that often is true in our life. So repentance requires confession. Look at verse 3. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. Look, if you're actually going to change in your life, if your life is actually going to change and that, perma- that change is going to become permanent, then you've got to understand that sin should bring shame you got to understand that sin should bring about, that shame should bring about repentance, but that requires confession, very specific confession. But change itself requires Scripture. It's the Bible that's going to tell you how you should live. You've been living this way before. The Bible now is entered into the equation. You realize, I'm living this way. The Bible tells me to live that way. I've now got to change. I've now got to start following Scripture. If you say, I'm just going to change and I'm going to do better— the <laughs> cat that might mean you're following, I don't know, uh, you know, Father Bubba who's worshiping a head of lettuce somewhere. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You gotta have some standards here somewhere. And and, and those standards come from scripture. I'm telling you, that is the best place to get the roadmap for your life is from scripture. Change, change, true change, requires a basis from which you are going to measure your life. So watch. If the basis of how I'm gonna measure myself is the Bible, God's Scripture, then I'm going to begin to take anything in my life that doesn't measure up to the Bible, God's Scripture, and I'm going to start making my life try to measure to that. Okay? If if my measurement is anything else, and I try to make my life measure up to that, then I'm going to become what I'm measuring to. Part of our problem in modern culture, and I'm just just going to take a, a a little turn here. When we start to follow the tribes and the nations around us, like the Israelites have been doing, what we start doing is we start acting more like them. And in our current culture, it used to be in our culture that people became famous because they were great. Now in our culture, people are considered great because they became famous. Okay, the first one meant you had to do something of value and then people recognized that. The second, mean, the second one means they're going to recognize you just because you came, became famous even though you didn't do anything of value. The truth is that our society has changed. If we start using that as our measuring stick, then you are going to decide how well you're doing by how many likes you get on Facebook or how many followers you have on your Instagram account. And those things don't really show that you've accomplished anything except getting people to click. Have you actually changed lives? Have you actually seen your life change? That scripture can help you actually do something deeper, more lasting, something more important. Scripture can do that for you. So so change requires scripture. Now, that was verse three. If I jump down to verse 38, I read these words. In view of all this, let me pause. In view of all this, all of those verses from chapter 3 to, to from verse 3 down to verse 38 are a recounting of what has happened in the history of Israel, how God brought them out, God made them a nation, God gave them a land, God God helped them build a temple, God showed them, God gave them all of these things, and then they turned away from that God, and because they turned away from him, they were split into two nations, and then they became, they they were defeated, first the the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom is defeated, and then they all end up in exile, and and Jerusalem is destroyed, its walls have been destroyed, its gates have been burned by fire. So that's, that's the in view of all this that they're talking about, their history. That's what they're confessing. So they said, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Look, lasting change requires commitment. It requires a public, a real, a documentable commitment commitment. This is why covert Christianity never really works. When you try to hide your Christianity, you're not out there really committing to living it out. And so the truth is lasting change will require a public documentable commitment. This is what the church actually today sees as a baptism. When you are baptized, you are baptized in front of other people. It's a public event. Why do we do this? Because you are stating by being baptized, I am now claiming Christ as my own. I am now a child of God. And this is my family of believers, and I'm going to do everything in my power to follow what God has to say to me from the scriptures. It's a commitment that is documentable, it is a commitment that is public, and it is a commitment that can bring about lasting change. And in the end, what we want is real change. It will require understanding that sin's got to go because it's shameful. It'll require repentance that actually names our sins. It'll require that we follow scripture, but if we do that, it will be a change that is a lasting change.
0: Man, so you talked a lot about shame and its role, repentance. These are some deep topics, really personal topics for a lot of people. But you talked about how in Israel it was a national repentance, and it was a repentance for things that were happening way before this particular generation had happened. Their ancestors were the ones who got this whole sinful activity started and resulted in the exile and everything else. Question. How important is, is it for each of us as individuals to know our own family history when we're considering our own repentance and then extrapolate that out local history of the place that we live right and so on and so forth
1: national and and otherwise it is absolutely imperative i think to know your family history let's start with that yeah i must know the sins of my immediate family because those are literally passed down mm-hmm. i mean literally what my dad struggled with i'm going to struggle with what my mom struggled with i'm going to struggle with and this is true uh genetically yeah and this is true in terms of environment mm-hmm. uh and I'll, I'll give you two i genetically have an awful lot of proclivities or or tendencies that are like my father mm-hmm. i didn't meet my father i don't remember seeing my father for the first time till i was like seven eight nine years old mm-hmm. something like that. that was the first time i ever remember seeing him yeah but I can tell you from the moment I met him, we look alike, we act alike, we do a lot of things alike. There is a lot genetically, mm-hmm. a lot of tendencies that are like him, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, on the other hand, is the one who raised me. Mm-hmm. And the challenges I received from my mom's side are not, are not, I suppose some of them are genetic, but a lot of them are Environmental. The way she saw things, the way she dealt with hardship, the way she dealt with personal failure, all of that I have now inherited. So if you don't understand, and I'll use this phrase, and I'll use this phrase in this case a little loosely if you don't understand the sins of your fathers, you won't understand yourself. Right. You have to understand that because it, it, it informs why you act the way you do. Mm-hmm. I took a trip this year with, or last year this year it's about a year ago i took her trip with my mom and my Mm -hmm. sister just the two of us 10 days on a train i never i do not recommend that uh but i did (laughs) and um and um and i came away from the trip realizing some things because i now had just spent 10 days with my mom as a full-blown adult right and and i began to realize some things in the way that she dealt with me during those 10 days that i had never realized Mm. that were leftovers from when I was a kid, wow. And none, my, my mom's great. My mom's great, and I, I, I cannot say there. There's, there's nothing there in my background, right? So, but, but I began to realize that some of what I struggled with was because of the way she saw the world and the way she saw herself, and that that bled over into how I saw the world and how I saw myself. Hmm. Uh, on my dad's side, I can I can you know I really don't want to give you specifics because um, mm. you know the weaknesses we receive from our parents are not always things we want to talk about. Sure. Yeah, so I'll talk to other Understood. people, but not in this setting. And so uh, the 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 truth is that you you got to understand that. Now let's take this a little further. It, when I one of the things I did when I moved to Charles County, Maryland, mm-hmm. which is where I live now, I have not always lived here. I've lived here for twenty five years, but. Um, but one of the things I did when I got here was I wanted to understand the history of the county because you have to understand. And here we're going to get a little a little bit um, off the deep end. You're going to go spiritual. I am going to go spiritual. Right. I was going to ask anyway. There are there are some spiritual uh, uh, property, some spiritual mm-hmm. empowerment, some spiritual ground. You talked a lot about scripture. How do we know that that's a thing? We know that's the thing because God talks about it. This is holy ground. He says to Moses, when Moses walks up to the burning bushes, this is holy ground. The ground was different. Yep. And then even Paul says there's principalities and yes, powers. Yes, principalities. So you're not all crazy. You're not making this up. No, I'm not making this yeah. up. This is biblical. So what are the principalities and powers? What is the darkness? What are the, what are the, what, are, what what's the ground right. here in Charles County? And I, you know, I studied that and it's not, it's not super clear, mm. but part of what's going on in, in Maryland, uh, part of what's going on in Charles County. Is, uh, is, is a, and I, I won't get into it, but it, it has to do with the Civil War, and it has to do with slavery, it has to do with racism, and, and there, there's a lot of residue of that here. Sure, This is literally the county where John Wilkes Booth ran to to get, to get taken care of medically after he shot and killed Abraham Lincoln. Wow, He ran to here. For That's that, wild. and there's some there's some lingering spiritual residue from that. I'm convinced, wow. in this area, and so uh, so we have to understand that because now I understand what what I'm battling against. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to understand the sins of the father nationally. Let's go nationally. We have to understand the sins of our nation in order to in order to not repeat them. You know, the sins of our nation in terms of what we did to indigenous people when we when when Europeans first came onto the continent, what we did in shipping in slaves from uh, from Africa, bringing them here against their will mm. and working many of them just to death in in, in ways that were inhumane and brutal. Yeah. You know, we have to understand that history. Mm-hmm. We also have some good history. My 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 dad. Let's go. Let's go back to personal and and, and like this. My dad. Had three careers, built three successful careers in his life. Wow! Now his failures caused him to lose them. That's why he had to build three because he lost (laughs) two of them. You know, but but he built three successful, very successful man in that sense. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom was was a wonderful school teacher for thirty five years. You know, so so there there's there's some good there. Charles County has overcome a a lot of these things and now is actually majority African American and a thriving one is now is now the wealthiest predominantly African-American county in the United States of America. That's amazing. So that's huge. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge win. And, and and nationally, we did some great things. The idea of a, of a constitutional republic, you know, the fact that our founders did not become kings but actually stepped down. Mm. And the and the peaceful transition of power that has happened in our in our in our nation for the past 200 years, the help we gave during World War II, these are all things that we can celebrate, right? Right. Yeah. World War One and World War Two, these are all things we can celebrate. Mm-hmm. You have to understand both, mm-hmm. but if you don't confess the sins, you don't understand where the where the where the challenges are going to come from. And this
0: is part of our personal responsibility. Yes, that we should acknowledge these things. We know that we're part of a world. We don't just step in and get a clean slate. Right. We inherit a lot of these things, whether we know of them or not. We have to grow to learn them. How old were you when you went on your trip with your mom? I was 55. And you were still learning stuff.
1: Still learning stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's hope yet, right? I'm now 56. I'm never, still learning stuff. Never so, finished.
1: Yeah. and But I will say this. I will say one thing, one, one challenge I think we have in our culture is, is what you see in Nehemiah, and again, it's a narrative, yeah. so you don't get all the detail of it, mm-hmm. is you see a confession and a moving on. I think one of the things we're lacking in modern culture is there's not a moving on. Mm. There's a confession and then somehow we never get to move on to redemption. If there's not a redemption, if there's a confession without redemption, then there's endless confession and it never stops. Mm -hmm. And that eventually the confessor will become tired of that and you will lose the ground you made up. Mm -hmm. There must be redemption that comes with confession or confession is not helpful. Wow, and the confession
0: piece is important, too. Do you think that somebody can be truly sorry and committed to change if they aren't willing to go public with it?
1: Uh, Wow. Because I, yeah, in the story— I, Because I wasn't prepared for the question, I want to pause just a minute. But I have an answer. I just want to pause before I give it. I think probably not. Because I think the more you hide things, the more you can repeat them. mm to repeat the words of a great theologian that you and I know named Emily Bradford. Um, (laughs) She said, she said, if you have to hide it, it's not good. Yeah. Okay, those were real good words coming from a, at the time she was a Mm -hmm. 20-year-old, coming from a 20-year-old, you know, so that, you know, I remember walking away from that conversation going, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. The, The
0: flip side of that is, do you think that people believe they can change without acknowledging that they've been wrong in the first place? No. I think that, I see this with people. They think that if I don't, you know, if I don't, I don't have to come clean with it to then behave differently. I can keep this thing that I've done, this sin that I'm struggling with or whatever it is, and then I can just change. Nobody has to know. But I think history has proven that that's not
1: the case. No, that's not the case. But I actually think I, you're 100 percent right. That's not the case. You can't keep it hidden and then overcome it. That, that's just true. But I actually think our culture right now is on the flip side of that. When I talk mm. about confession without repentance, right. I think our culture right now is is there's such empowerment to telling my story
0: mm.
1: that we never make a new story. And we stay in the confession victimhood phase mm. of it and never get to the repentant repent uh, redeemed mm. overcoming victorious phase mm-hmm. and and i think i think there's a lot of power in the story now and i think somehow that's slowing us down i think you got to have both mm-hmm. you do have to confess 100% you have to confess but secondly you got to move on yeah you, you you walk in live in this is a couple a couple lessons ago live mm-hmm. in your blessing Mm. Don't keep walking in your failure. Start living in your blessing.
0: Mm. You end this message with lasting change requires commitment. Mm-hmm. They're called to commitment in the story. Yes. And and then we see in a couple chapters that things mm-hmm. don't necessarily go as planned. Yes. So this this story, even if, even as a contained unit, is really an, not a finished story, not for Israel. This is going to continue.
1: Well, and again— when you read the Old Testament, I haven't said this in the series yet, so I, it's I, I, this is a failure of mine. But when you read the Old Testament, these narratives, the best way I think you can find application from these narratives is to read them and view Israel not as a nation but as an individual. So all the people inside of the nation become... Uh, Elements or aspects of who you are, you know, uh, go back and every every one of us as a person has a Sanballat or a Tobiah that's mm-hmm. coming against us. Mm-hmm. That's very personal. And 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 all of us at one time or another, the walls that defend us individually, internally are broken down at certain places. Yeah. And we're being invaded and things are being stolen from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you, what you allude to in a couple of chapters, there's always some... There's two things in this in this couple chapters, but there's always this one little thing inside of us that wants to harbor mm-hmm. something that doesn't belong there. or there's always this uh, this neglect of uh, uh, of the repetitive nature of worship and the repetitive mm-hmm. nature of taking care of what is God's in our life that that we tend to fall down mm-hmm. on. I think I was working with Pastor Theo a couple of days ago and uh, we came up with this phrase. It's the repetitive, uh, the 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 relentless repetition of right things mm. fixes the world. The uh, redundant repetition of rote things does nothing. Mm. So uh, the difference between the two is the motivation of the heart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can, I can, I'm gonna get in trouble. I can repeat the Lord's prayer every day five times. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's probably good for you, right? I do that every day. But if it's redundant and rote, yeah. if it's the redundant repetition of a rote prayer, mm-hmm. it's not going to help me. But if I if I take a relentless repetition of a meaningful prayer or different meaningful prayers every day, that'll change my life. It's mm-hmm. so, really good. I think. I think. Anyway, that we're, I'm, we're preaching the next sermon.
0: It reminds me of that verse in Romans where it talks about be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right. And that takes right. practice. It's right. it's a discernment that has to grow.
1: But I think you have to make a public commitment. I think you have to actually, people have to see a commitment in you to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, a year ago, about a year ago, I showed up at the at the barn, which is the gym where you work out and do some training with mm-hmm. some friends. And um, you do some formal training at another facility, but mm-hmm. at the barn at your house, Folks who are close to you come in, and I showed up and I looked at I looked at everybody in there. and said you got one year. You got to make me look make me look better in one year. Or I'm out. Well, we're about a year out, and I still I still don't look like a rock star. But at the same time, I'm better. I'm in better shape and I feel better than I did a year ago. Yeah. But it took me standing in front of you, Robert, Dave, you Robert, Joshua, and Logan, mm-hmm. in order from you know, and making that public commitment yeah. to say I'll keep doing this. And um, I think in our spiritual life, the same thing has to happen. Somebody needs to be the receptor of your confession and your commitment. When you find that person, they'll help hold you accountable.